You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 897 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, it is Wednesday evening into Thursday for the final podcast episode of 2020. Unless something crazy happens tomorrow, this will be it for us. Welcome to the podcast as always, and thank you for listening. If you don't know me, I am the managing editor of PeachtreeHoops.com, as well as a staff writer over at Dime on Uproxx, Sportsline, and other places around the internet. And uh, yeah, I host this podcast. Here we talk about the Hawks, and on this night, it'll be Hawks Nets recap from Wednesday evening. A very, very fun game. In fact, I talked to a lot of people right after the game and even during the game that don't cover either team individually, talking about this might have been one of the better games so far of the NBA season across the league, and I would agree with that. It was very entertaining. Not a ton of defense being played in this one, quite frankly, but also two very talented, very impressive offenses, which is certainly worth noting and pointing out multiple times on this podcast, as I'm sure that I will. But we'll dive in to the pod as we get going here about the, about the game and takeaways and analysis and individual player performances, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I do want to plug from earlier this week a breakdown of Monday's game as well on the Pistons. Uh, that was a fun one to discuss uh, as the home opener on this podcast feed. And then also on Sunday evening into Monday... I had an hour-long conversation with Tower Jones, good friend of the program. That is still very relevant. Some good takeaways in that podcast as well. Please catch up, download, etc. Uh, before we dive into the play-by-play of sorts in this game, a couple of news items at the top of the podcast, one of which that the Hawks are not going to be going to the G League bubble. That's happening. Apparently going to be at Disney, according to the, to the Athletic. College Park not going is not was kind of already expected. It was already reported that way. I'd heard that as well. But this is some further confirmation. And I'm not really sure what's going on with the G League in terms of next steps. As for the Hawks, it does really it does kind of help them that both Nathan Knight and Skylar Mays are allowed to be with the team um, in Atlanta all season long because of the new two-way rules for this year. So no huge worries there player development-wise and uh, no problem there whatsoever. But definitely an interesting decision by the Hawks to not go to that. But at the same time, I'm not sure how much value there is. I'm sure there is some, but you know, cost-benefit analysis, etc. I don't have a huge problem with it, but that's the latest on that. And then injury-wise in this game before we dive in, the Hawks had their most, um, I would say, uh, coherent rotation in terms of who was actually available the entire season so far. So, Clickapella played again for the second straight time. And then Danilo Gallinari, interestingly enough, was questionable coming in with a foot injury. Was then upgraded to probable and then ended up playing. But then again, got hurt during the game. A different leg, different injury. We'll come back to that later on. But this was the first time in a while that all of the top players on the roster were available. Obviously not Okongwu or Dunn or Snell just yet, but all of the top seven or eight guys in the rotation that we all know were available in this game for the first time, at least for a little while until Gallinari went down. So that's noteworthy. As for Okongwu and Snell, Lloyd Pierce said earlier this week that both Okongwu and Snell played three-on-three. They've not played five-on-five just yet, but they're getting closer in this spot, which is encouraging. And, you know, sort of broadly speaking about this game before we dive into the what actually transpired, I would just point out that, yes, Brooklyn came in with an elite defensive rating, which is not really um, what I would say this team is a calling card. I know they were coming out, I think they were, they were number one in the, in the league in defense coming into the night. Brooklyn's not a defensive first team. They, they played well defensively in the first few games, but I will just point out that they were projected widely to be a below average defense coming into the season. So this is an offense first team. I know the offense wasn't quite as good as the defense on paper, uh, at least according to the stats in the first four games, but the Nets are an elite offense. They might be the best offense in the league, quite frankly, when KD and Kyrie are playing. 
And then defensively, uh, you know, the Hawks were able to do a couple things well in this game. We'll dive into those in a second. But then they were also able to score pretty much at will. And that's a very encouraging sign for this offense that's looked good so far this season. So we'll dive into all of that momentarily. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. And the first of which is betonline.ag. The regular season is coming to a close in the NFL, and a playoff picture will be decided in the near future. With that in mind, there's only one place that has you covered, and one place that we trust. That place is betonline.ag. You can sign up right now today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code Locked On for 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA getting geared up, as the season continues with great matchups on a nightly basis, there's a jam-packed slate of college football action in the coming days with bowl games and the playoff getting underway this weekend with a doubleheader on Friday. From there, week 17 of the NFL season is coming this week. There are some fun matchups to handicap on that slate, including Dolphins-Bills, Cardinals-Rams, and Steelers-Browns. And if none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings for BetOnline on any sport you can think of, and BetOnline also offers a huge menu of player props, as well as live wagering, futures, and exotics. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get on the action. Do not forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON. You receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code LOCKEDON for 50% on a welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so we'll dive in here. Obviously, the final score, you probably know this by now, but it was 145 to 141 in favor of the Nets in regulation. A super fast-paced game and also one that had a lot of offense. So oftentimes, the final score can be misleading because of pace. In this game, it was both a fast pace and good offense on both sides, so that's worth pointing out at the top. But going from the beginning of this game, the Hawks actually started out with some pretty interesting defensive alignments. They played the same starters from last in the last game with Trey Young and then Reddish and Hunter on the wings with Collins and Capella to open the game. And they actually had DeAndre Hunter guarding Kyrie Irving. He did a pretty good job, I think, for about the first three quarters before Kyrie kind of went nuts, as he is prone to do late in this game. They had Trey Young guarding Joe Harris. John Collins on TLC for the Nets, who was more of a wing, but they were pretty small in this contest. And then when you have Kevin Durant um, as your power forward, that's a tough guard for anybody. And they had Reddish on Durant. So that's a pretty interesting alignment. It's kind of probably what I would do, honestly, because... Yes, it'd be better if you had Trey Young maybe guarding TLC, but then you have to have John Collins try to chase around Joe Harris, which is a tough ask. So that's kind of what's probably what I would have done as well if I was Lloyd Pierce. Still, um, actually, Joe Harris hit the three in the first trip of the game, and the Hawks actually made a pretty much, a pretty big run right out right out of the gate. They won on a, on a blitz um, coming out of the gate there to go up by nine, actually, fifteen three run overall. And Collins had it going from the early, from the really from the opening tip. He was fantastic in this game. Um, Trey Young found Clint Capella on a nice pick and roll lob. The Nets actually started cold, which is funny given how well they scored in this game. But they actually opened two of eleven from the floor, and both Kyrie and KD were pretty quiet early on, missing four shots each in the first six minutes of this game. Super fast pace. The first sub was Gallinari, who on his first touch basically got a got a switch on Joe Harris and shot over Harris like he wasn't even standing there. I think it would have been a big night for Gallinari offensively, but moments later he went down with a right ankle sprain. You can see on the broadcast when it happened, it was a clear ankle roll. Um, again, this is not the same leg that he had the foot issue coming in. He missed the last two games with a foot contusion on his left foot, so it's a different foot, and it's an ankle, not a foot on this on this case, so no real update. Lloyd Pierce was asked about it, he just said he rolled his ankle, so we'll see what happens in terms of availability for the future. Ankle sprains are notoriously fickle. You can have one where you play the next game, or you can have one like Mike Muscala had, like John Collins had um, at the la- in the last few years where you miss weeks at a time, so hopefully it's the former, not the latter, and you will see Gallinari back quickly, but they also probably won't push him given his age and all that stuff, so we'll see if Gallinari can go in the near future, but not great because I think it would have been a nice night for for him and obviously the Hawks want to see him in the lineup at full strength. Um, elsewhere, sort of rotation-wise, they went to Bogdanovich as the second sub after Gallinari, 
and they actually went to a lineup that had Gallinari at center for that brief time with DeAndre Hunter at the four against Torian Prince and Jared Allen. So you can, you can, you can sort of afford that. I mentioned this before, but if you're a new listener, Gallinari is really closer to a five than a three. I know coming into the year, there was some discussion about Gallinari playing the three. He really is a four and a half, much more than a three and a half, if that makes sense. He's not played any three at all so far. And the, even in the preseason, he was not playing any three at all. And they went to him at center for a brief time that he was actually available in this spot. Then they brought in Rondo and Herter and Hill. It was an 11-man rotation overall for Atlanta. Bruno Fernando was the 11th guy that came in finally and played the least outside of Gallinari, but it was about a 10.5-man rotation, quite honestly, if you factor in Bruno as sort of that auxiliary piece that the Hawks were using. Um, there was a really impressive second jump offensive rebound that John Collins got in the first quarter that I wanted to point out. He finished through contact, really kind of bullied Jared Allen throughout this game, and I like Jared Allen, but John Collins was just so active uh, so physical and aggressive on the glass, making his jump shot. He just was fantastic in this game on both ends of the floor, really. So uh, shouts to him. He had 10 points in his first eight minutes of action. In fact, the Hawks were lights out in the first half, uh, really really, really the entire game. But the first quarter especially, the Hawks scored 41 points. They shot 15-23 from the floor, 5-10 from three. They had um, you know, very minimal turnovers. They scored nearly 1.4 points per possession, which is just uber elite, obviously, they give a lot of it back defensively, but in the first quarter, you had 11 points for John Collins, 8 points for assists for Trey Young, and uh, to only be up 3 was not ideal, but the offensive pace was set really early in this contest. The second quarter was the only quarter of the game where offense wasn't just absolutely dominant. The Hawks did not shoot great. In fact, they shot 9 of 26 in the second quarter, but still were able to go in halftime at 1.25 points per possession because they got to the line a bunch. Uh, Collins, Young, Madonich makes some threes, etc. Um, in fact, Madonich was hunting a shot in this game in a good way. He actually attempted, in this contest, 11 threes, uh, and 10 of them were in the first 22 minutes that he played, and three of them were kind of right out of the gate. Um, it's kind of a back and forth. Uh, this is sort of a red flag that I pointed out during the game, but the Hawks were, started out this game 18 of 30 from the floor and 7 of 13 from three, and they were only up by one point at that point in time because the Nets were scoring at such a high rate. Uh, old friend Torian Prince started 2 of 12 from 3 this season before tonight, and then of course came out of the gate and made his first three um, jump shots, including two threes. One of them was on the line, so actually we thought it was three threes at one point, and it was only two, but he was perfect on the floor in this game, on at least three or four jump shots, kind of fittingly, in a revenge games scenario for Torian. Um, the Nets kind of took the lead briefly. It was back and forth for most of the second quarter. Um, they actually went to Capella for a minute late in the first half against Jeff Green, which is an interesting decision because Jeff Green, while he's certainly a good small ball center option for the Nets, you would normally not want to play Capella there against a small ball unit, but Collins had foul trouble or at least had two fouls. They don't want to get him his third. And then they actually brought in Bogdanovich for the final minute after Reddish got his second foul. So they were trying to avoid foul trouble in this game. I thought Brooklyn targeted Trey Young quite a bit on defense. Not a surprise. Every team tries to do that to some level, but the Nets had some pretty good success with that. I thought Trey was not fantastic defensively, even by his standards in this game. But again, the Hawks cooled off in the second quarter, did not shoot well, and still led because of the, uh, the fact that you know the Nets also kind of cooled off a little bit as well. In fact, KD and Kyrie were a combined 7 of 25 in the first half, and still they scored a lot of points, but the Nets took care of the ball in this game, and they had um, 15 assists in the first half as well. But at halftime, Collins had 16 points, Trey had 16 points, and Bogdanovich had 11 points, and uh, a lot of positives going on there. Um, second half, more of the same. Really, this game was back and forth, back and forth. Neither team led by double figures in this game. The largest need of the night was nine for the Hawks, and even then, that was only a couple times, I think maybe even once, if I recall correctly, but it was certainly a, a back-and-forth, close game the entire way, and that and definitely included the second half. There was a good um, 
bit of activity from Capella in the third quarter with an early tip-in. He was not great. He's a little bit sluggish still, as I said on Twitter during the game, but he got some rebounds. He was active and uh, crashed the glass a little bit in the early going. Trey Young got hit in the head at one point and actually missed both free throws after a foul. He had made 24 in a row before that and then missed those two and then made the rest of the rest of the game. So I'm not sure if he was a little bit woozy or whatever happened there. That was kind of a weird one. He had a bad miss too. I'm, I'm not sure if he was himself there for a few seconds. Um, the Nets took the lead briefly, but then actually had the Hawks had back-to-back threes from Collins and Reddish. They were losing Joe Harris though. Joe Harris is a great shooter. You know, one of the top probably 10 guys in the league from three-point range. He got he got off eight attempts. It was six of eight and a bunch of those were wide open. They just kept losing him. Some of that was Trey Young who they were trying to hide on him and then Trey would get caught in a screen or something like that and he would leave Joe Harris. So that's just a guy you just can't leave. And now the Nets shot the ball great as a team. 19-41 from three in this game. So it wasn't just Joe Harris. You have guys like Shamit and even Prince who can really shoot at Cabarro. Uh, Luaba Cabarro is actually a pretty good shooter. It was, was only one of four. But Harris is the one guy you just you know, I guess, obviously, KD and Kyrie qualify as well, but the one supporting piece that you just can't leave open, and Joe Harris had 23 points on 11 shots. So, yeah, that's that, those are some mistakes for the defense. There was a couple of good strips, though, by the Hawks defensively. John Collins had one that was really nice on Kevin Durant. I thought he was, I thought defensively he was good in this game, like capital G good. And then Ken Reddish had one on Durant as well. I thought Hunter did a pretty good job on Kyrie until the fourth quarter. Anyway, <laughs> there was one, I almost didn't want to mention this, but Capella on offense, uh, as I mentioned before, was not great. But he had this one hook shot. It's sort of an ISO post-up possession on Jordan, which I'm sure everyone that's listening to this podcast that watched the game remembers. But Capella had like a two-dribble post-up ISO hook shot that was an air ball short. It was about as bad as you'll ever see. And I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of Capella, who I like. But uh, that was a rough moment that I wanted to at least make sure that people know that I saw. It was, it was, not, it was not great. Um, other than that, you know, the Hawks went to the full second unit late in the, uh, late in the half after the Nets took a brief lead, but there was some uh, good shooting there from Bogdanovich and Solomon Hill, who was good in this game. And the Hawks had a a 9-1 run overall to go up by eight points. The lead settled at 104-102 after three quarters with both teams really, really cooking. And this is crazy, but the Nets shot 51% from the floor, 45% from three, with 24 assists and seven turnovers through three quarters. And that is just a ridiculous offensive performance. And they were losing because the Hawks were even better offensively and had 11 more free throw attempts. So... Yeah, just a crazy offensive barrage. And the fourth quarter, I said that, that, that's before the fourth quarter, and the fourth quarter score was 43-37. Now, a lot of that was like some stop and go and some pressing and all that stuff, but offense was uh, not was not, not difficult to come by in this game. Um, the fourth quarter was fittingly a lot of back and forth. Durant hit a three on the first trip to give Brooklyn the lead, and it was a lot of back and forth, back and forth. But Donovich got hot, hit a couple more threes. Um, the Hawks went back to Capella with about eight and a half minutes to go after Collins got his fourth foul. There was a big play by Capella to work hard. He sort of got multiple tips on a offensive rebound possession, and then the ball got swung back to Herter for a big three to keep the Hawks in, in distance there, which is nice to see. Uh, the Hawks closed this game, at least for the most part, with Young, Bogdanovich, Reddish, Hunter, and Collins. That is the group that I also would have used. You know, I think it's, on, on some ways, the best lineup the Hawks could have put out there, especially against Brooklyn, would have been that would, would have been that group at, with Collins at center. You know, Gallo not being available is part of this. Capella's not being available, at least at his full strength. He's obviously playing, but not, not necessarily back in, in total form. Collins is the best center against this Brooklyn Nets team for the Hawks. And then you want to have Reddish and Hunter out there for defense. I think Herter would have been interesting as well, but Bodonich was playing well in this game, so... I get that there are other options, namely Herter, um, that they could have gone to, but I think I would have closed with that group as well if I was Atlanta. And then they used Solomon Hill a couple times for defense, but that was a uh, a decision that I liked from Lloyd Pierce. People were asking me about, so there you go. Um, 
Also, at one point, Trey Young had 16 free throw attempts late in the fourth, and the Nets had 17 as a team. Now, the Nets finished with, finished with 23, but Trey almost had as many as the Nets team and continues to lead the entire league in free throw attempts. That was a big theme of uh, the internet, even beyond Atlanta on Wednesday and Tuesday even, was Trey's free, free throw attempts, and uh, not a surprise, he got back to the line 16 times in this game. Without doing all the play-by-play down the stretch, uh, we'll sort of fast-forward to the two-minute mark or so. Um, Kyrie Irving just kind of went crazy. That's kind of the broad strokes here, is that Kyrie started this game 3 of 16, from the floor, he finished ten of se- ten of twenty-seven. So he, fin- he finished seven of, seven of his last eleven. That included five of six at one point, where he really had it going. They finally forced a missed on him, and then Ken got a layup. But you know, back and forth, uh, Kyrie missed a floater, but then Trey turned the ball over with about two minutes to go, up by two. Uh, Kyrie then hit a deep pull-up three, um, but it's you know sort of back back and forth from there. Uh, there was a one. There was one. The one offensive play that I wanted to mention the Hawks just didn't make was DeAndre Hunter got a kickout pass from Trey Young as, as a nice find by Trey that would have tied it in the corner with about a minute to go, and and DeAndre missed it down by three. Now you don't you don't want to pile on. You know it's one it's one shot. I'm not going to say that was like some some disastrous moment, but that was kind of a big swing moment when it could have been tied and it was still at three. The Hawks got to stop after that though. Durant missed a step back, and then Young found Collins with a nice pass, who got fouled with less than a minute to go, made both to cut it to one, but then Kyrie got to his spot pretty easily, made a short pull-up jumper with 32 seconds left to go by three. He had 17 in the fourth at that point in time. The Hawks tried to go quick. It was uh, 32 seconds left, so not quite enough time for like a real two-for-one. Um, the Hawks t- tried to go quickly. It was very obvious that Bogdanovich was told, or at least wanted to shoot the ball quickly as, as quickly as possible. He missed a contested three. The Nets got the rebound and then outletted for a KD dunk that kind of sealed the game in a lot of ways. Now, the Hawks could have and should have fouled Jared Allen in the backcourt, and they didn't. Uh, you could hear it on the broadcast, as, as how loud this was, when Lloyd Pierce and the bench were yelling for them to foul Jared Allen. It was a pretty much auto-foul situation, so I'm not sure what even happened there, like just a time and score mess up or something like that, but the Hawks should have fouled Jared Allen. Would they have won? Probably not. But obviously, it would have been better to foul him there than give up a dunk to Kevin Durant. So that was a big swing. And the Hawks, you know, still down by three without the ball there. Even with Jared Allen going to the line, you expect him to make at least one out of the two. You're still behind and probably going to lose. But it would have helped their uh, win expectancy a little bit if they'd actually executed that. Um, they got the ball down five with 16 seconds to go. Actually got a corner three from DeAndre Hunter with 8.1 to go. So they got they got it down to two. So the uh, the flicker there was certainly uh, present. A nice kickout pass by Trey Young, who, who made a couple of nice passes down the stretch. But Brooklyn got the ball to KD um, on the inbounds, which is a problem for Atlanta. They had to foul him. He made both, which basically uh, sealed it, going up by four. Trey got a layup with 1.8 seconds to go, but then they had to foul KD again with a, with a second to go, and uh, he made both to end it to go up by four. So obviously a lot to sort of break down there. But I'll just say this. You know, sometimes the, the the opposition just has good players. And Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Uh, Kyrie, you know, his stat line for the game does not look impressive. But if you just watch the fourth quarter and not the first three, you would think Kyrie was Kyrie. Like, he was fantastic. He's basically unguardable. I saw some people, like, piling on DeAndre Hunter and others for trying to not be able to guard him in the fourth quarter. Like, look, nobody can really guard him when he has it going like that. And he just found it at, at a bad time for Atlanta. And then KD is KD. He's really good as well. So... Sometimes this just happens, and the bench and the bench for Brooklyn was also good. But offensively, the Hawks were there, stride for stride, the entire game. We'll talk about more of that in a second. But yeah, just uh, my overall takeaway before we get to a, our, our final break on the podcast was that the Hawks were so good offensively in this game, they certainly deserved to win. They played well enough to win, and uh, 
no real negative takeaways for me overall. We'll come back with some bro- with, with some more broad stuff in a second, but I think just no reason to be upset about this result if you are a Hawks fan. Uh, it's the, yes, it's, the, it's their first loss, but you lost to a team on the road that is good and by four points, and it was a one-possession game with you know a few seconds left. So there you go on that. Okay, before we get to the individual breakdowns and the final takeaways from this game, a word from our sponsors, and the first one is Built Go. Whether it's a mental wall or a physical wall, I can break through it right now with Built Go every single day. And Built Go is the healthy replacement for your energy drink. Energy is anything but fake. Instead, it's both lasting and it's natural. Built Go is easy to take in one and a half ounce packages. You can put it in your briefcase, your golf bag, or your pocket, get you through whatever you're facing today. Built Go is essentially a five hour energy without the same feeling of a crash. Plus, it's natural and it's better for the body as a result. And there are three delicious flavors to choose from and chocolate mint, peanut butter, honey, and chocolate coconut. Built Go is loaded with the good stuff to ignite your work. Listeners to the podcast will perhaps know that I have multiple jobs that I have to tend to on a regular basis, and sometimes I need a little bit extra to get through the day and the night, but Built Go is a fantastic solution to break through my own wall in order to try it for yourself. Visit BuiltGo.com, use the promo code LOCKED to get 30% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. All right, so broad takeaways time before we dive into individual players in this game. Atlanta's offense, again, worth noting, it's obviously... You know, when you score 141 points, it's pretty clear that they they were good on offense. But the Hawks scored 1.32 points per possession. Now, for comparison's sake, if you're you're not a diehard, the league leader last year was about 1.15. The Hawks scored 1.32 per possession in this game. They were lights out. Again, Brooklyn's defense, I know it led the league coming in, is not is not good defensively. Honestly, like are they are they terrible? Probably not necessarily. They do have some talent. But if you're just being honest, with it, at least this, this is my own assessment, but I think Brooklyn's defense is not, very, is not particularly good. At the same time, the Hawks were on the road against a team that is good at basketball and scored and scored at a rate that should win you any game. Now, the Hawks didn't win this game, but offensively, they you just can't ask for much more than this. And given what we saw the first three games and what the talent level is, this is a good offense. I mean, I think we already knew that. I think I said that coming into the season multiple times, but... Without Gallinari for really most of this game, the Hawks came out and scored at a ridiculous clip and flashed all of their upside. They didn't, you know, they shot well, 39% from three, but nothing like crazy unsustainable. It's not like the Hawks came out here and made, you know, half their threes or more. They shot well, but not crazy well. They got to the line a ton. Trey Young didn't make a three in this game. Like, he's capable of making seven or eight threes in a game. He made zero. So they did a lot of things well. They played great offensively, 27 assists. 12 turnovers, um, shot the ball well across the board. You know, you can't be too upset about that. Um, offensive glass was, was a strength as well. The Hawks had 17 offensive rebounds. That's a huge stat for this team. Uh, both teams made a lot of threes. And as, as I said before, it was a close game the entire way. But in the end, Brooklyn did score at a rate where you just can't expect to win if you're going to give up this, this level. Again, credit to Brooklyn, who has a ton of talent. But the Nets scored 1.36 points per possession. That's ridiculous. The Nets shot 54% from the floor, 46% from three, and had 30 assists and only nine turnovers. That's a bad recipe, quite quite honestly. A true shooting of 66% for the Nets. Uh, not a ton of live ball stuff either. Um, you know, some of that shot making, but you know, off the bench, guys guys were open. Prince, Shamit, um, Jeff Green made a three. Karis Levert didn't even have it going in this game, but actually had 10 points, eight assists off the bench. And then you throw in Irving and Durant and Joe Harris, and there you go. But I said this before at the beginning of the podcast, kind of, but. I'll say it just plainly now. This Hawks defense may not may not be good, and I've said that a lot coming into the season. They'll be improved. I'm confident on that, and I've been saying that the entire time. But 
this is not the night to panic about the defense. I know the numbers look really bad, and when your opponent scores 145, the the natural take, especially if you're if you're not gonna not not a, not a huge NBA diehard, is oh my god, defense 145 points. I totally get it. Um, but the Nets again might be the best offense in the entire league, and they really had it going in this game. Could the Hawks have done more defensively? Sure, they could have. Obviously, they weren't good on defense in this game, but I, I will save my defensive outrage for another night. I think the Hawks played equally bad, probably worse defense. Honestly, not even probably. The Hawks played worse defense, in my opinion, on Monday against Detroit. And, you know, they won that game, so no one cares. But just keep that in mind. I know it's all adjusted for competition, but the Nets are really good. And, uh, you know, the, the numbers are inexplicably bad to the point where you can't, like, talk about them without, you know, referencing the Hawks being pretty bad defensively in this game. But I will, uh, again, I will save my out- outrage for defense on another night, focus on the fact that the Hawks just played a good basketball team to a virtual draw for 48 minutes on their home court. And uh, there you go for that. Okay, last thing. We'll dive into individual players. The bench is pretty easy to handle in this game. Gallinari played three minutes. No real takeaways there. Bruno Fernando, six minutes. Did have four rebounds. Played hard when he was in there, but didn't play a ton. He was clearly the 11th guy that became the 10th guy when Gallinari left the game. Rajon Rondo was not particularly good in this game. He did have six assists. That's the thing that you can rely on with Rondo. But defensively, he was not as good as he was on Monday. Shooting the ball 0 for 2. His first stint was quite bad, I thought. He was better in the second half when he came in, I thought, but... Not um, he's kind of a reminder that you can't expect Ronan to be fantastic every night the way that he was on Monday. I thought Solomon Hill was good, he made three threes, was minus nine, but that was not necessarily on him. Uh, Kevin Herter didn't have a huge offensive game, seven points, four assists for him, in 21 minutes. I thought he played decent defense, uh, not great, but you know he hung around in there. It was not a standout game for him. I thought he was generally okay. Bogdanovich hit six threes. He was aggressive. He was hunting a shot. There was one moment that even Pierce acknowledged after the game where Bogdanovich passed up what should have been his shot on an open three, and he was hot at the time, too. It was kind of a, kind of just a weird moment where he kind of had like maybe like a brain freeze, but he should have shot it and didn't. Other than that, though, you can't complain. I mean, he took 14 shots, 11 threes. Like, he was aggressive enough. I thought some people complaining about that. I, I get it. It was a bad no shot, but it was one possession, so what are you going to do? 22 points, and uh, the shooting woes from early in the season were not uh, carrying over, and they, they, were, they were never going to. He's always been a good shooter, so no surprise there. To the starters, um, I thought DeAndre Hunter was okay. Offensively, the numbers were not good. 4-13 from the floor, 3-9 of nine from 3. So, you know, no, no getting around that. Did have 3 assists, 11 points, and 8 rebounds. Fouled out late in this game. I know there was some focus on Kyrie getting after him in the fourth quarter, and he certainly did. Um, but I thought, again, Hunter did a pretty good job on Kyrie for most of this game. Not at the end, but what are you going to do, Kyrie, late in the game? I thought Hunter played better than the numbers look in the spot. Cameron had 20 points, a uh, couple of nice flashes from him, got to, got to the line 10 times. That's a very, very encouraging thing for Cam. Took a couple of bad, subtle, subtle jump shots, but with 3-4 on twos, 2-7 of seven on threes, had three rebounds and an assist. Defensively, he flashed some of his tools that he always flashes. I thought he played pretty well. Um, I want to see him get to the line like that often. That's a good sign in a lot of ways. So a generally positive performance from Cam. Um, he, did, he did pretty well, and Kevin Durant at times as well. A couple of nice highlights defensively. Click Capella was not particularly good. He was better in the second half, I thought. Seven points, 12 rebounds. You know, I guess the thing about Capella is that even though he looks slow, and I thought he didn't um, have his juice again tonight, and I'm hoping that he'll come at some point for the Hawks, even then, he gets 12 rebounds in 20 minutes. So this is a guy who, you know, has some, I would say, some drawbacks right now with the way that he's not moving particularly well, but he's always physical. He always rebounds. He's better than what the Hawks have had in the path at center. 
Um, but I was, they were much better with Collins at the five than Capella in this game. But, you know, we'll come back to that at a later date. Um, Trey Young, 30 points, 11 assists, 6 rebounds, 5 turnovers. Didn't shoot it great, 0-4 from 3. Got to the line 16 times, was 8 of 14 on twos. I thought Trey played well. You know, defensively, I think he was probably his worst of the season in this game, um, but not like as bad as he was early in his career, if that makes sense. There were some moments where he got he got lost, and, uh, you know, you could see that he's exposed at times defensively, but on offense, he's a maestro. You know, you can't fake 30 and 11, and, the, and the, free throw shoot, the free throw shooting is really good. He had some guys in jail again. Not quite as bad as Killian Hayes was on Monday, but he was really in total control with the uh, the foul drawing and the creativity that he shows. His awareness is always there. And down the stretch, he wasn't, like, scoring at a high level. He had a couple of nice layups, but a couple of great passes that um, created scoring opportunities. There was one where Collins got fouled, and then there was the one on uh, on kickout pass to Hunter, another one on kickout pass to Hunter. So, his passing was spot on in this game. I thought Trey played pretty well offensively. Obviously, with 30 and 11, you can't fake that. But I thought he was pretty good. And then John Collins was the star for me in this game. I thought he was fantastic. 30 points, 10 rebounds, uh, had an assist and a steal, and in 31 minutes. About 31 minutes, 30 points, and 10 rebounds. Whew. Uh, 12 of 20 from the floor, 2 of 5 from 3, 4 of 5 from the free throw line. I thought John was good defensively as well. I think the entire season so far, he's been good defensively. I know I was higher on his defense than some last year. You know, especially national folks didn't really notice the jump that John made in year three. I said that on a couple of national shows that I did um, visits on in the offseason. You know, Nate Duncan's show, uh, Ball's Life, a couple of other, couple of other places. I just kind of mentioned that, look, Collins has improved defensively. People haven't really noticed it, but this year it's been even better. I think he's been like a legitimate positive defensively, in my, in my view, in the first four games. So hopefully that continues, but I thought offensively he just kind of took it to um, DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen and others in this game. So a complete game for John, his best game of the season so far, and a nice showcase. Pierce just talked about the fact that he kind of plays well against Brooklyn anyway, and I agree with that, but man, he was efficient and productive and a two-way really uh, sort of force in this game. And by the way, Starters versus starters, all of the Hawks starters in this game were plus one or better um, in the plus minus. So they weren't always playing against one each other, but it was really the bench that won this game for Brooklyn in a lot of ways. Obviously, Kyrie took it over late, but overall, it was bench positive for Brooklyn, Hawks bench negative, and Hawks, Hawks starters positive, and Nets starters negative. So, you know, sometimes that's overrated, but interesting to just kind of point that out here at the end of the podcast. So final thing, I know I said it once before, but the Hawks played well in this game. The Hawks could have won. They really had, it was up for debate in the last minute or two on the road in Brooklyn. And the Hawks coming into the game were five and a half, five and a half point underdogs at betonline.ag. And they opened six and a half. They covered that spread. They were within it the entire game, basically. And that's usually a good indication. Now, you don't want to overstate that. But if that's the general projected baseline, the Hawks were closer to that. Um, and they kind of beat that number. So the Hawks played well, I think, in this game. I think defensively, obviously, it was not fantastic. But offensively, they did a ton. And uh, we get to see it again on Friday. So, you know, not a back-to-back. I expect everyone to play, I would hope, for both teams. Obviously, Gallinari is a question mark at this point. But the Nets seem to be pretty healthy outside of uh, being without Dinwiddie now for a while. But we're all looking forward to the rematch. I know I am. Will the Hawks win? Maybe not. Brooklyn will be favored again. They're the better team, in my view. But the Hawks played well. It was really exciting, a good measuring stick. Somebody asked me coming into the day if it was a measuring stick or if it was just game four and game five in Brooklyn. I still lean to it until it being like just game four. It's too early to really care too much about one game. But if you're looking for a measuring stick, the Hawks played well enough to win this game on the road in Brooklyn. It wasn't like Brooklyn played bad. So that's a positive takeaway. I think this is about as good of a loss as you'll see for Atlanta coming in. Obviously, there are things to clean up. I think the coaching staff will be busy 
on Thursday on New Year's Eve, trying to get these guys to dial in. And then on New Year's Day, they'll be uh, returning to the court at Barclays. So uh, a lot of fun. I will be back after the game on Friday. And then, by the way, that's a back-to-back with the Hawks coming home to play a home game on Saturday. So I'll have podcasts after both those games. If you're a new listener, again, welcome aboard. Please subscribe to the show. If you're a returning listener, leave five-star feedback if you enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. Uh, Again, final podcast of 2020, unless something crazy happens on Thursday. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your patronage. I sincerely appreciate it. And if nothing else, we'll be back again after the game on Friday. Happy New Year, everybody.